It's a comfort, particularly during rough times in some wilderness of a place, to know that God has taken responsibility for your salvation. Even though you may not always think like a Christian, much less act like it, in this story, God promises to go ahead and be your God anyway. That's the Reverend Dr. Will Williman, and today he shares a challenging message of faith called Good News, God is Coming to You. I'm Dalton Rushing. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's your host to introduce today's speaker. This is Dalton Rushing, your guest host, and I'm delighted to introduce our day one preacher today, the Reverend Dr. William H. Williman. Will is the professor of the practice of Christian ministry at Duke University Divinity School in Durham, North Carolina, and the former bishop of the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church. A graduate of Wofford College, Yale Divinity School, and Emory University, He served as pastor of churches in Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina. He's a popular preacher at conferences and churches across the country, the author of more than 70 books, and writes and lectures extensively on the church and preaching. He blogs at willwilliman.com. Will, welcome to day one. Dalton, it's good to be here. You served as the dean of Duke Chapel and professor of Christian ministry at Duke University for 20 years. And after a season as the Bishop of the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church, you're back as Professor of the Practice of Christian Ministry there. And you also direct Duke's Doctor of Ministry program. So, what are your courses? What are you teaching your divinity students? Well, I teach an introductory course, Introduction to Ordained Leadership, uh, for first-year seminarians that I enjoy much. Uh, Part of the enjoyment of that class is to just see... God keeps raising up leaders for God's church. Mm. Uh, there are moments teaching that class when I feel like Jesus says to me, hey, I'm doing my part to send you all the right people. <laughs> Do not turn them off by being so boring and dull <laughs> that they will not follow through on my vocation. Uh, then I teach a preaching class in the Doctor of Ministry class, and I enjoy that class because it's just wonderful to kind of talk shop and discuss preaching with experienced practitioners. Duke has been an important part of your ministry career, but why Duke? What drew you there, and why are you still there? Well, uh, Duke got drawn to me, and I was a pastor serving a little church in South Carolina, and somebody from the Duke faculty showed up and said, we're looking for somebody to teach worship. You did your Ph.D. in that. Uh, at Emory, and would you like to? So that's what drew me to Duke. But I'm surprised that I have been uh, around Duke uh, for most of my life. And it's been fun trying to articulate the gospel Mm -hmm. within an academic intellectual setting. And it's been fun watching Jesus uh, work that sort of setting to his advantage Mm -hmm. and to this is maybe apropos of my sermon, but uh, to stroll in and contact people who did not ask to be contacted. <laughs> hmm. 
You served as an active bishop for eight years. How did you approach that role as a shepherd to the shepherds in that part of the country? Well, it was my privilege to serve as bishop in uh, the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church. And I loved uh, working with fellow pastors and attempting to serve our churches and focus them on mission. Uh, you know, I did got to see myself as a pastor, and I had pastoral responsibilities. Unlike most pastors, though, I also had oversight and supervisory responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Episcope, uh, the word for bishop in the New Testament, uh, means oversight, shepherding. And uh, so sometimes I had to be a, a kind of a caregiver to pastors, and at other times I had to be that one who tried, uh, it for the sake of the church, uh, to hold pastors accountable mm. and to keep them focused on their better aspects of their vocation. You've written dozens of books with more than a million copies sold. Since we're in the season of Advent, we should mention your book called Heaven and Earth, Advent and Incarnation. How do you approach understanding and experiencing Advent through this book? Well, Advent is that season when Christians sort of wonder at the amazement that God became human Mm -hmm. in Jesus Christ. Uh, That is an astounding claim to make. It seems a kind of violation of everything people often say when they say God. Uh, And yet, that's what we celebrate in Advent, the enfleshment of God, the incarnation. And uh, I think it can be one of the most exciting times of the year in the sense that it's a time when the church sort of is it's, it's, it's most peculiar. Hmm. <laughs> and it the church rallies around that affirmation that is not kind of shared by nine out of ten average people, uh, but has to be proclaimed by the church. Good news. God has come for us as one of us as Jesus Christ. Hmm. One more recent book reflects your views on the current situation in the United Methodist Church, with a number of churches leaving the denomination. The book's called Don't Look Back, Methodists Hope for What Comes Next. What do you hope faithful Methodists glean from this book? Well, from the book, I I tried in the book to kind of give a rationale for why I think it's important to stick with the United Methodist Church and its mission. But at the same time, I hope the book is helpful uh, whether your congregation uh, decides to stay or to go and join another denomination or whatever. I keep reminding people that the church belongs to Christ, not to Mm -hmm. us, and that uh, Christ will find a way, even amid our dissensions and divisions and uh, disaffiliations. uh, Christ is going to find a way to keep having his witness, uh, his his people. And so the question for us is not, should we leave the denomination or stick with the denomination? The question is, uh, what do we got to do to stay hitched on to Jesus Christ and his mission? And I hope my book is helpful in that. We've talked about your teaching and your writing. I wonder, what, what are you working on now? Well, I'm I'm working on being... 77 years old and <laughs> staying in the staying in the game uh, just say one I feel privileged to get to be with people in preparation for ministry and I get joy in helping pastors build capacity 
to lead in their ministry, which I do in the D-Men program. What I'm working on right now, I'm, I'm kind of between books. I've announced uh, that this is my last book. Uh, I announced that in my last book. Trouble was, I announced that in my three previous books mm-hmm. before the last book. <laughs> that this is my so uh-huh. um, we'll see. One of the great things about being a Christian is um, there's a sense in which what you're working on now is a function of whatever the Holy Spirit decides you should be working on now, and that's kind of out of our control. And so the Christian life can be a life of surprises, and I enjoy that aspect about it. Last year, a documentary on your preaching called A Will to Preach was produced and aired on PBS stations around the country, and it's a fascinating look at the work of a faithful preacher. What was that experience like for you? Well, thank you. It it was weird. I was approached by documentary producers uh, saying, we'd like to know, how do you move from a biblical text to preaching it in a congregational context. Uh, we'd like to make a film about that and because we think a lot of people may wonder about that. Mm. And I said, you know, watching us preachers devise a sermon ain't exciting television. <laughs> uh, they said, well, let us worry about that. Let's sh-. Well, they followed me around uh, as I encountered a biblical text, as I roamed the halls and would run into people and say, hey, I got a weird text. Mm. And I got to preach it in this Episcopal congregation in North Carolina. Uh, what What are your thoughts about it? And as I talked to students and all, and then as I ruminated uh, aloud about it, then they followed me going to the church, uh, talking with the pastor beforehand about what's going on at your church now? What are you working on and all? And then interviewed me and the pastor and a half dozen of my listeners after the sermon uh, sort of what did you hear in the sermon and all. Anyway, it, it turned out to be a fascinating phenomenon. And I got to thinking about it. People are interested. And mm-hmm. we pastors go to an ancient biblical text in service to our people. And we listen and say, hey, any word from the Lord? Mm-hmm. And then we try to have the courage to stand up and announce that to a congregation. And that is a kind of an amazing activity. Yeah, amen. I have to say that your preaching style is unique. So many people really appreciate your sermons and the way you deliver them. Is it just your personality, or is there something else that drives your preaching? Well, you you know, kind of, uh, Dalton, I'd be the last to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope the Holy Spirit is driving my preaching. Mm-hmm. But then I'm thinking the Holy Spirit is probably now saying, hey, don't blame some of that stuff on me. <laughs> that that was due to South Carolina issues. That's not me. Um But I think, you know, back to Advent, we have an incarnational faith. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So preaching is a supremely incarnational activity where we say, okay, Holy Spirit, show me something new about this biblical text. Show me something that grabs me and then help me to say it to my people so they can hear what I think I've heard. Well, that's a bodily activity. You got to use the human voice. You got to use your body. You got to. Uh, so, um, I I hope all of that makes preaching a wonderful way uh, to spend a life, and continually surprising. Like for instance, one thing that I bet has happened to you as a preacher 
is you preach a sermon and somebody comes out afterwards and says, wow, that was a great sermon. That's the best sermon you ever preached. It was a great sermon about X. And they name some subject. Mm -hmm. And you think to yourself, you idiot. I I wasn't preaching on that. Mm -hmm. I don't say that to them, Dalton, but I think (laughs) it. And, um, you know, well, that may be just an everyday observation of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, it's my sermon. I'm going to preach it, and I'm going to say to them what I want to say to them. Mm-hmm. In spite of you, give me that sermon. I will preach. Well, that what an exciting and sometimes exasperating and sometimes frightening thing to be part of. Mm-hmm. Well, how did the whole journey start for you? How did you experience your calling to ordained ministry? I experienced my calling, I think, as an intrusion by God into my life, a God commandeering me to live a life that I didn't necessarily choose to live, but one that was more interesting than the life I might have chosen had the choosing been left up to me. Mm-hmm. And um, in college, I came to an awareness that, well, knowing all that God knows about me and my weaknesses— God is still appears to be choosing me. And uh, when I complained to a mentor, uh, it just seemed strange that somebody like me would be being called to seminary. He said, uh, to make a comment like that shows you know nothing about the Bible. Hmm. He said, which I would have expected from a Methodist like you. <laughs> uh, but read the Bible. God's a sucker for people like you. Uh, so... And I must say, I've managed to be grateful on most days that God has given me that adventuresome life. And um, it's kind of a wonder. And and I must say, even at my advanced age, Mm -hmm. uh, i got to preach next Sunday. And I've been thinking about that sermon all week, thinking about maybe go this way with that. No, maybe they would hear it better if I I put it this way. Uh, And also at the same time, knowing that... uh, they're fully capable of rejecting it. They're fully capable of saying, we don't like you. We don't like the way you're saying it. And then I say, well, they said the same thing to our Lord, too, at Nazareth. Hmm. Uh, but I feel like I'm here because I was put here. And there is a weird sense in which at the end of one of my sermons, if somebody comes up to me and says, uh, uh, you're a terrible preacher and you shouldn't have said that and I'm deeply offended— there is a sense in which I could say, hey, take it up with the Lord. <laughs> this was not my idea of a good time. This is, I actually believe Jesus sent me, put me here. Um, I try to find a nicer way to say that. But still, I think theologically one could make that claim. Hmm. Well, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and your sermon draws from the gospel lesson from Mark chapter 1. Would you read it for us? Yes. Mark 1. Uh, Verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him 
and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mark starts out his gospel account, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, and he gets right into it. I like that. What stood out for you in this text as you prepared your sermon? I think in my sermon, the thing that gripped me in these verses was uh, the wilderness. Ain't it weird the beginning didn't occur uh, in a church service hmm. or at a temple? It happened out in the wilderness. And... Uh, but that also says, isn't it interesting that John was out there preaching in the wilderness of all places, and he had a congregation. Uh, people came out to hear him. In fact, uh, uh, you know, Mark says a bunch of people came from all over Jerusalem, all over Judea came to hear him and were baptized and confessed their sins. And I took in my sermon sort of the wilderness is a kind of metaphor for a place where there's no sure path, uh, where we wander. The wilderness is evocative of Israel's wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Isn't that interesting? And I, I guess I tried to say, hey, are you in the wilderness right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you lost your way? You can't find your path? Oh, good. Well, hey, expect to run into a preacher mm-hmm. uh, in one way or another who may say a word that is God's direct address to you. You've been warned. Well, we look forward to hearing your message about this warning called Good News, God is Coming to You. Will, thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you, Dalton. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program with Will Williman, with an extended interview, you can subscribe to Day One Weekly Program on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream or download it on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404 815-9110. All the Gospels agree. You can't meet Jesus without first hearing John the Baptist preach. John dresses in wilderness clothing like an Old Testament prophet. He doesn't dress in jeans and a t-shirt to show you he's just one of the guys. Nor does John wear a fancy black pulpit robe that certifies vetting and approval by the bishop. John, the last wild, untamed, eccentric Old Testament prophet who prepares us for the prophet, Jesus. Look, I'm sitting by messenger before you. He will prepare your way. A voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Advent is announced not in some beautifully proportioned church, but in the remote, untamed, uncivilized wilderness, where it's hard to find your way and some 
become lost. For Israel, on Exodus, the wilderness was a place of testing, test that Israel often flunked. But wilderness was also a place where the Hebrews were forced to live out of control of their destiny, to be sustained solely by God as they made their way through uncharted territory, taking a very long time to find their way home. Some words that are too true or too unmanageable to be fully contained in a temple, synagogue, or church. The Word of God can be heard at confined, established, sacred sites. Uh, Oh, that's to be sure. But the Word, the living incarnate Word, refuses to be exclusively relegated to a church. It reaches out, pushes out, even into the wilderness. Hey, what, what's your address this December? Apartment 23, East Elm Street. Or is where you are more accurately described as wilderness? If so, please note, God doesn't wait for folks to come to their senses, get her act together, at last head back toward home and come in from the wilderness. God comes to them in the wilderness through the wild words of a wild preacher named John. A full disclosure, this southern-accented proper Duke professor preacher is hoping that through this day one sermon of mine, God may come to you. There's never been a better poem to describe what God's up to this time of year than Psalm 139. I'm sure that John the Baptist, and most of those to whom John preached, knew this psalm by heart. From the cradle to the grave, we can't be rid of God's seeking, searching love. Lord, you know when I sit down and when I stand up, even from far away, you comprehend my plans. You surround me front and back. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. Psalm 139. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? Even in the wilderness... You can't keep God from showing up. Mark's gospel has none of Matthew or Luke's narration of the virgin birth of Jesus. Uh, There are no wise men or shepherds or babe in the manger or mysterious star in the sky. In a sense, John the Baptist's sermon is Mark's equivalent to Luke's nativity. Here is the beginning, the birth of a way of God being God with us, showing up in a place we didn't expect. So hold on to your hats. The Lord is coming, ready or not, in places unimaginable, accomplishing the inconceivable. It's Advent. Be prepared to be surprised by God. 
even in the wilderness, you can't get this God off your back. When we prayed, where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? We were surprised. That included even the wilderness, even the words of a strangely attired preacher named John. The best Christmas sermon I ever heard was from a preacher who stood up on Christmas Eve and simply said to his congregation, Tonight, I have some breaking news. Then he leaned into the microphone for good effect, and he said, Good news! Tonight, the invasion has begun. We're about to be liberated. God's come for us. He sat down, and we sang Christmas carols like our lives depended upon it, uh, which, of course, they do. Sorry if you thought God was a projection of your fondest wishes and deepest desires, a, a technique for getting peace or justice or happiness or joy or whatever it is you think you just must have more than God, one comes to us, one whom we did not expect. Your world is about to be rocked. Don't be surprised that you are surprised. One of the perks of being a pastor is hearing stories, uh, some of them some of them kinky and weird, about God just showing up in ordinary folks' lives, ready or not. Uh, she was just filing papers at the office, or he was just washing dishes at the cafe, or uh, they were just trying to figure out how to make it through the week, or... She was minding her own business with God as the last thing on her mind. And, well, then, then Advent. God Almighty waltzing right into some unsuspecting life. It's a comfort, particularly during rough times in some wilderness of a place. It's a comfort to know that God has taken responsibility for your salvation. To discover that you aren't expected to clamber your way up to God, God will come to you. Even though you may not always think like a Christian, much less act like it, in this story, God promises to go ahead and be your God anyway. From what I've observed, if you are reasonably content with the world as it is, if your life is manageable and you're not too troubled by the state of the world, it don't feel too much of your neighbor's pain or as happy as a pig in mud, have never lost your way or wandered off the beaten path, well, maybe you don't need John's sermon. On the other hand, if God has blessed you with some holy discontent, if you expect that this world as good as it often is, is not as good as it could get. If you find it difficult to sleep at night after you've seen the gaunt faces of those hungry children on the news, or you get so angry you could scream when you see the bruises under the makeup of the woman next to you in the grocery store checkout line, well, then John's two-point sermon 
God's about to shake things up and get ready, get washed up to show that you're ready to be shook up. Well, that's good news. Ask folks what they think of God. They're likely to speak of God's remoteness. God uh, God is uh, way up there and, and we're stuck down here. Hey, don't believe it. In Jesus Christ, God gets up close and personal. Every religion offers to help us finite creatures climb up to or dig deeper into the infinite and the eternal. Only Christianity contends that the infinite and eternal God descended, took time for us, became one of us. Listen to John the Baptist preach. You don't need to climb up to God. In Jesus Christ, God comes down to you. God refusing to be confined in eternity. God come out to the wilderness. Good news. God's given up waiting for you and has come for you. There's no wilderness so wild that God can't find you. Good news. Our preacher today was the Reverend Dr. Will Williman, professor of the practice of Christian ministry at Duke University Divinity School in Durham, North Carolina. For a free transcript of his sermon for the second Sunday of Advent titled, Good News, God is Coming to You, Call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Day 1 depends on the financial donations of our faithful listeners. Please consider supporting our unique ministry with a generous year-end gift. We need your help at this important time of year, and we're grateful for it. Again, our address is Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305 or donate online at dayone.org. And visit our easy-to-use website at dayone.org, where you can listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the program archives, and much more. That's dayone.org. This is Dalton Rushing. Next week on Day One, we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Dr. Jonathan C. Augustine, Senior Pastor of St. Joseph AME Church in Durham, North Carolina. Jay's sermon for the third Sunday of Advent is titled, The Joy of Carrying Jesus. Please join us next time on Day One. Now, our Day One preacher, Will Williman, shares some final reflections on his sermon today, Good news, God is coming to you. And Will, you said we can't meet Jesus without first hearing John the Baptist preach, which he does in this text. And Jesus' advanced man announces the coming of Jesus not in some beautifully proportioned church, but in the remote, untamed, uncivilized wilderness, you said, where it's hard to find your way and where some become lost. 
This is good news indeed for a lot of us, but why did John have to prepare the way for Jesus like this? You know, interesting question. Why did he have to prepare it like this? There is a sense which, you know, I don't know. I mean, God only knows. Hmm. <laughs> but um, it, it may be a sign that the, the good news of Jesus Christ is so weird, so counter to our expectations mm-hmm. of what good news would look like. You you got to have an advanced man. You got to have John out there. It it may be that I mean, here's John eating grasshoppers mm-hmm. with honey and dressed in camel hair, and it it might be that you know uh, maybe John is saying, "You think I am strange? Where did you meet the Messiah? <laughs> He's going to baptize you with fire. I go easy on you with water." Uh, but I think maybe it's also uh, a message to us that you can't kind of receive Jesus without some preparation. I think there is abroad among us Americans the feeling that, hey, it's kind of a Christian country, and mm-hmm. I'm a nice person and came from a nice family, and, and, and so I kind of I get Jesus. No, John kind of says, no, you don't. Uh, you got to get washed up. You got to get prepared because here's here's the God you didn't expect. Here's God in a way that you didn't know was God. Uh, so get ready. In Advent, you said we need to be prepared to be surprised by God. God's about to shake things up. You gave us some ideas of what that might look like in our everyday life, a sleepless night over the plight of hungry children or righteous anger because of how some people are treated. But say more about how God might surprise us and what we might do in response. Well, maybe my statement was, uh, hey, uh, if you're discontent with your life as it is, if you're discontent with the world as it appears, hey, God can ride in on that. Uh, that's a great way for meeting God. Uh, I say that because a lot of times people think, you know, we we come to church, we come to religion, hoping to make ourselves more content with things as they are. Well, one of the things John says is you, you kind of can't get Jesus unless you change. You you got to relocate. You got to come out the wilderness. You gotta you got to get washed up. You got to be honest. Tell the truth about yourself, you know. So mm-hmm. um, maybe I'm blessing some discontent hmm. there and saying, um, you know, pay attention during those moments. Uh, you know, a woman said to me a while back, said, my son, who grew up in Duke Chapel, is uh, listening to your sermons. Uh, he's now an adult, and he says he's no longer a Christian. He's an atheist. Uh, he's no longer a believer. And he doesn't believe. And I said, uh, uh, um, a better way to say that, he's, he, he's not a Christian yet. Hmm. <laughs> he's not a believer yet. Uh, because we actually believe these matters are not left up to your son. <laughs> the hmm. Holy Spirit is going to have the Holy Spirit's way with with his life, too. And so I maybe want to highlight that. Again, I think sometimes in American popular Christianity— we present Christianity, the Christian faith, is something you do. It's something you feel, you believe, you think. Uh, John the Baptist says, no, God is coming. God is saying and doing to you. This is not something you self-create. Uh, and you're not busy searching for God here. God is 
out searching for you. And I think that's a word of good news. Hmm. Well, the good news you've told us is that God has given up waiting for us and has come for us. There's no wilderness that God can't find you. If we are able to experience that assurance, how might we share that with someone we care about who is really stuck in that wilderness? Well, it you might say, uh, by the way, the Gospel of Mark begins in the wilderness. Are you in the wilderness? It appears you are. Well, okay, that maybe is the beginning of the good news. And I've heard as a pastor over the years, many people say, I guess I had to hit bottom before God could find me. Or I'd always kind of been in charge of my life. Well, then I went through a period where suddenly I was out of control. I couldn't do a darn thing about it. And that's where I met Jesus. Well, so if you got somebody you love in the wilderness, uh, even if that person is you, uh, if you got somebody in the wilderness, uh, what a good time to be reminded, hey, the good news starts in the wilderness. And I love the way that in Mark's gospel, you know, the beginning of the good news in the wilderness. Mm. <laughs> and so I think that's good news. Sadly, sometimes in church, I think we sort of present ourselves as all dressed up and lives all in order and my family's in order and my children in order and everything's in order and we're sitting row on row on pews. So church is where you come where everything is right. Mark, I think, says, no, uh, it's in the wilderness we're most likely to be met. What's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? Uh, I hope one good thing is that good news. Uh, hmm. God is out looking for you. God wants you. I think sometimes, again, we preachers unintentionally maybe present the gospel as bad news. Uh, you got to get yourself together and you got to start looking for God and you got to come back to God and you got to make this decision and you got to start thinking right and feeling right. No, the good news, first of all, is uh, God loves you and God is out looking for you in spite of you. <laughs> and I'd love for people to take that good news away. Will Williman, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Dalton. Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever. <laughs>